Hello and welcome to Dirty Talk with Chapman and Tati. I'm Chapman. And I'm Tati. We're two college students who aim to discuss sex, romance, and everything in between. On this show, we have frank conversations about our experiences, feminist theories, sexual health, and more. So, just sit back and enjoy a little bit of Dirty Talk. Hello there, and welcome to the final episode of Dirty Talk with Chapman and Tati. Uh, We're sad, but we're also... It's bittersweet. It's bittersweet. Yeah, I think it's exciting because this episode kind of shows the culmination of what we've been trying to do this whole time, which is connecting kind of abstract feminist theory that comes at you through classes or Tumblr, more likely, or... I get most of my feminism from Tumblr, which may be problematic, but that's a whole other discussion. Right. Um, Twitter and your real life and your romantic encounters and whatever, work. And so we literally are connecting those dots because I'm here with the desk covered in papers from my feminist courses and our two significant others sitting with us. Yeah, so why don't you guys introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Julia and I am dating Chapman. (laughs) Uh, I'm Max and I'm dating Tati. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I think that one of the reasons we brought them on is so that we could talk about uh, romance and because, I mean, obviously we love love. We, we, We wouldn't be in these relationships we didn't love love but it's hard to be in love and not recognize some of the issues with uh romance just in general especially you know the kind of the romance that is a huge part of our society right especially as people who have a feminist identity and a queer identity and how does that feminist and queer identity play into your very normative heterosexual relationship right. because it's not a matter i i'm not buying into the cognitive dissidence of like we do what we do yeehaw it's gonna be great <laughs> No, I think I think there's a lot of pro- problems with romance, and uh, Julia very brilliantly pointed out the problems that I think feminists will run into mm-hmm. in discussion, because we'll refer to something kind of abstract as if it's understood, like you know how we have to do this thing, and people will it feels like they'll play dumb. They'll be like, no, well, okay, it's not written down, but it happens. But you had a really good example of some, you know, real life, you know, situations of when this comes up, right? Right. Um, I have a very I have a coworker who I love who is my age. She is 21 and lovely as can be with another 20-something-year-old partner. And they are in Colorado getting an education, the same place I'm getting an education. But right now they're arguing because he doesn't want her not to wear a bra. Okay, that's rough to begin with. I'm hearing that. I'm like, ooh, yikes. Mm-hmm. But, okay. <laughs> but then... I hear about his explanation and it just gets worse. His explanation is because we're in a relationship, your breasts are something you're sharing with me and I don't want other men looking at them because you're sharing that with me because they're mine because mm-hmm. you're you're deciding to give your body to me. Right. And so that, that sort of jealousy mm-hmm. is just weird. Yeah, that's weird. And you guys had some feedback on your podcast that also kind yeah, of illustrates we, uh, this well, right? We had we had a uh, it was actually a reader of one of our columns because we we write columns to accompany the podcast and uh the reader in a response um they they basically they they tried talking about what we said, but to be honest, they really just talked about Tatiana, which which was weird because they they were at first like, "Oh, 
this person, like the, the author of this column is saying, oh, it's, there's two authors. And so they, they said my name, Chapman Crossgold, easy enough to pronounce. Uh, and then they attempted to pronounce Tatiana's <laughs> name. And it was just, it was like Titania. Yeah. Par, parfine, and it's, yeah. and then the, the person went on to say something about, oh, what are they going to do? What's she going to do with her name when she gets married? Yeah, and- he spent like 20 minutes on mm-hmm. my name alone, which was bizarre. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's a complex name, but mm-hmm. to like. He already dislikes me because of the thoughts we wrote, right. but then he spends a long time just going on a tangent about what I'm going to do when I get married. Right. He also oh, then looked like, up. Sir, I appreciate also, your concern, but I, I don't think you're that concerned. <laughs> I was also just really upset because he looked up your Twitter hand, your Twitter bio, and was like, "Oh no, I wouldn't have sex with her." But he didn't say whether or not he had sex with me, and like, <laughs> I'm salty. Uh, anyway, moving forward. Um, but I think that's just. That's where we're at. Yeah. We're trying a big, to explain where we're at. Yeah. A big issue of, you know, your patriarchy is just the power dynamics that exist within it, especially mm-hmm. in romance and in love. Mm-hmm. So uh, now we kind of are going to break it down. I think for us, um, when I first introduced this idea to Chapman, there's a bit of resistance. Mm-hmm. Like, romance is awesome. And I'm like, okay, romance as we know it, I think for me, they break down into three specific categories. And I organize it like this for the sake of time. But if we're being honest, the three are hard to separate because they're really tangled up in each other. Um, does some, someone want to begin on the first? Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess patriarchy was our first, you know, that imbalance right. of power. Um, and I guess you had a quote from uh, Simone de Beauvoir. Yeah. Ooh. So one of the, like, big, big feminists, um, old school um, says about romantic love is uh, given the unequal position of men and women, love become a cur- love mm-hmm. becomes a curse, mm-hmm. and that's part of my suspicion of romance for sure. Is I think that a lot of these old school feminists uh, look at romance and see that it's a mechanism of control, and that women become trapped in their trope, mm-hmm. um, physically trapped in some ways, and then like more metaphorically trapped. Right, and and it can be. As simple as, you know, who pays the check at the restaurant, you know, and, and if the man does not, you know, if, if it's the woman handing over the card for both people, um, you know, does he really love her? Uh, <laughs> you know, is, is you know, she the one who's in power in this relationship? Mm-hmm. How scandalous and, and difficult to well, comprehend. And I think, Max, you were even saying that you guys went out the other night <laughs> and... Uh, Tatiana ordered a beer and the uh, wait person uh, like brought it immediately to you and brought the check to you and brought Tatiana's card back to you. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, it was, she was paying and the guy just like consistent was like, here you go, man. And thank you for buying this. And it's like the card says Tatiana on it. I mean, it's like, <laughs> like, I don't know. I mean, maybe that that name is becoming more common among <laughs> men, but maybe not. Not that I know of. <laughs> yeah. And so the second aspect, I think, is it's like kind of the materialism. It's and it's capitalism. almost yeah, capitalism. It's it's intrinsically tra- uh, tied with capitalism and this idea of ownership. I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So is it like ownership over women or or ownership over? Well, I think it comes back to what Tatiana was saying about her friend and her friend's significant other, who's saying, "Oh, we are dating, and so therefore I have this certain ownership over the rights to your boobs. Like, only I should see your boobs, even if they're covered by a shirt. God forbid it, somebody sees on your nipple. Like, that will ruin my life because somebody is seeing your nipple that I have the rights over. Like, that's that's weird. Or, like, people who control people's actions because they say, well, you're an extension of me, and society kind of looks upon us as this unit now, mm-hmm. and what you do is a reflection of me. Like, 
Well, not, and I was in a I was in a long a long term relationship uh, a couple years back that was it had a lot of issues, and I think one of the issues is that she was very very possessive and very very jealous because of it, and I faced a lot of these these issues of just like possessiveness and her telling me exactly how I had to live my life so that it didn't affect her and make her jealous and upset her. Yeah, right. I I very much think that patriarchy is um naturally a part of capitalism but let's imagine for a moment um that we could divide the two mm-hmm. um capitalism without patriarchy is still going to be an issue for our romance um because w- when we feel like we own people we like contort their entirety their impossible contradictions become boiled down to your image of them mm-hmm. uh, and i think about um the other day Matt, I um, was getting Max from a thing that he had hosted and there was this woman who was like tall and pretty and maybe not pretty maybe I was just being weird and she kept touching his arm and I was like alright like he's got an arm she was pretty <laughs> <laughs> and um like I just by like the seventh time she touched his arm I was like yep he's got one like I don't know why you gotta keep checking for it um and so I realized that like even if we're talking about just not patriarchal um, ownership, concepts of ownership, we're still experiencing ownership in itself is a is a thing of capitalism. And I think that people might argue that, like, no, if you if you live and we have things and we all love things and you owe things. Mm-hmm. But I think if you study kind of different indigenous histories and the struggle with uh, land ownership, it's oftentimes because the concept of ownership isn't transferred because. Mm-hmm. People don't. People are like, this is a thing, and this is a thing I use. This land, this river, this tree is a thing that I have a, a relationship with. But I like the legality around like it is mine, and I have property rights. That that theory and idea didn't translate all the time. Um, and right. I hate to stroke all of indigenous history with a broad stroke, mm-hmm. but that is true as far as uh, the difficulty with treaties and the ability for the U.S. to constantly break treaties with indigenous peoples because. It's like this is mine and I own it because no one owns it. Well, well, fuck. Someone lives here, you know. Well, so- and as far as like you know, even jealousy in relationships goes, I think that jealousy a lot of times is more of a side effect of kind of communication issues than mm-hmm. really anything else. I think that jealousy is a pretty natural feeling. Like I'm a I'm a very like naturally jealous person. Like I get very possessive just um, of of things. But like it's also like if you haven't communicated with your partner and been like, hey, like. I'm feeling jealous because when this person does this or you do this, like that's causing it, then then you're not going to be able to fix this issue. And I think that jealousy kind of stems from this, you know, the stereotype of uh, husband and wives not talking about their feelings about things and the possession of that. And I think I think it com- it's coming from an old fashioned place of not not a lot of communication. Right. The whole like, you know, women are. Uh, complicated and, and mysterious creatures. Yeah. And, you know, their minds just work in mysterious ways <laughs> that I will never comprehend. But also, like, I mean, that sounds like, oh, you know, they're so complex, like like possibly a... Like a uh, human, Right, maybe. right. But then, but no, it's a, it's a put down. Well, honest, oh honestly, most God. of the time when Julia's, like, staring off into space, like, thinking her deep thoughts, she's thinking about dogs, like, honestly. <laughs> Sometimes. And other things. Um, but, like, they're not mysterious no. um i mean they're there's they're as mysterious and complex and difficult as humans are mm-hmm. and that's yep. that's that's the essence of feminism is trying to let women be people and so i think i think probably possession and jealousy are two different things i think possession is a side effect of capitalism because mm-hmm. we are taught with a value of ownership and so then we try to maintain that through our relationships in really destructive ways ultimately mm-hmm. 
And I think jealousy is a side effect of insecurity. And That's I think fair, that... but I think that jealousy is still related to ownership because, like, you're, oh, yeah. you're only going to be you're going to be jealous a lot of time. If you, if you have that ownership feeling, you're going to be jealous. Yeah. Um, more often than not, and you can obviously have jealousy even if you don't have that ownership feeling. Right. But I think that the two do have they have a relationship. Yeah. But I also would I would connect jealousy. Um, even though, like, I was, like, not down for the redhead touching your arm, I would more <laughs> often times, it was just so many times, um, I would more connect it also to, like, fragile masculinity and that, like, um, fragile masculinity is, like, a one of the toxic outcomes of gendered yeah. expectations of humans. And so that brings us to our next point. Definitely. Uh, which is, Max actually brought it up, the, the kind of heteronormativity in relationships. Yeah, mm-hmm. actually. Um... Oh no! I, well, what was it, guys? We were talking about, um, we were talking about how to kind of like how they define, and then uh, I had homework for this project to go read, and while I was reading through it, I was kind of thinking about how, um, how like in a in a, and I guess it would be specifically two guys usually that it's it's, uh, in a in a gay relationship that it would be. One would be considered the dominant, and one would be considered. Well, the like, question is always, you know, who's the woman in the relationship? Right. Like that's that's the stereotypical question. Right. Um. And I mean, yeah. And I can I can touch on that a little bit. Is just there's this you know ex- very heteronormative expectation that in a relationship between two people, there always has to be somebody who's dominant, somebody who's the top, who takes the this quote unquote male point, and then there has to be somebody who is more submissive and takes the female role. Um. And the big issue with that is that there are absolutely gay relationships um, and queer relationships where some person is extremely masculine uh, and is a top and is the more like outspoken in the relationship, and the the other person is very inherent like feminine in stereotypical ways and you know takes the bottom relationship and everything but there's also plenty of relationships where it's two extremely masculine men right um and who tops and who bottoms is just a personal preference of sex no yeah like like i was thinking like it's i don't even think that's a real thing like in Mm -hmm. in in most relationships that that doesn't really happen that Mm -hmm. one of them's like i'll be the guy and you be the girl right i don't think that's real but it certainly is in the social sphere that people Mm -hmm. believe that right like I don't know. It's just it's it's an interesting thought, and then how that like kind of comes back to like uh, like cisgendered relationships. Like so so if people are expecting that out of a gay relationship, then then they're expecting that out of like a heteronormative relationship, right? Yeah. And, and, and they're that... just not gonna say it as explicitly. And right. So I think that it gives us a good opportunity um, to analyze the unspoken rules because the unspoken rules become spoken that. You are expecting a controller and a controlled. Mm-hmm. They're they're spoken as soon as they're like broken. Broken. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, I think I think that kind of transitions well into our kind of like overarching last topic, um, which is just feminist romance and and where that all comes together. Um, and I'm thinking I was just thinking about how I'm a firm believer that humans are not the most monogamous creatures. Um, I don't I don't think that we are actually designed to like find a specific person, you know, the one and spend the rest of li- our lives with that person. I think that we go through years and years of complicated courting to find a person. And even once you find that person, it, it takes a lot of effort to maintain that relationship. Right. Like it. <clears throat> I think this, the there's... one is a wish of people who don't want to actually 
interact and work at something and just <laughs> want it to sort of fit in like puzzle pieces like snap all right we're we're good right well, set for the rough it's, it's, it's the happily ever after of yeah. all the movies ever uh and then you have the sequel where they have to introduce some drama because like nothing is ever perfect and you have to have that like my parents who i think are probably the the best example of relationship i know they've been together uh nearly 30 years but they like they've run into a plenty of issues and like they they had to take time to learn how to fight and how to be a relationship and how to always like work together because they were two very strong personalities shocker um and so i think that that's just one of the issues i have and saying like how do we have you know feminist romance and i think a huge part of that is just recognizing that love's complicated and love takes effort always just like everything in life well, and then, so, like, I don't know, I think I'd throw on there is that it's really interesting is that, like, uh, partway through our relationship, um, Tatiana came to me and she's like, you realize that every person in your family is divorced mm-hmm. or separated at some point. And, then, you know, I'm, like, 24 years old, and I'm like, holy crud, I hadn't realized that whatsoever. And I think it's to the point that, like, um, that relationships come in all sorts of sizes and that there's not necessarily like you need to be with the one person with the kids and the white picket fence. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't even think you have to be the person. I think that there's a lot of belief that you have to like find love and like love is super important, but love doesn't mean finding your perfect significant other. Love just means love. Right. Yeah. And Julie has a quote about this. Yeah. um, Bell hooks. She said, love is an act of will, both an intention and an action. You know, you have to opt in to mm-hmm. love, I think. Mm-hmm. And and I think we sort of all looked at that and went, huh, because we're in this situation where, you know, our futures are a little bit uncertain. Extremely um, uncertain. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Julie and I have been together for almost a year and I'm graduating in two weeks and moving up into the mountains while she stays down here. And I mean, long distance is intimidating. Um, and like the fact that we as two, you know, early 20, 20 somethings, people are going, OK, like. We would rather be in a relationship with a person, even if we don't see each other all the time, because like we like this person enough and we think that this is worth the effort like that. That says something, right? It says something about like our relationship and our will. And like, obviously, we'll see how it goes. But right. Well, and also like the future is uncertain, too. Like who is going to move where and who's going to do what? Like one of the nicest conversations I had with Max that I was kind of scared of having was that like, I don't know what the future is and I don't want you to feel let down Mm -hmm. or mad at me if I ever have to end this because it's not working because abroad is scary. Um, far away is scary. And like, I, I love you and I don't want to let you down and I don't want you to ever feel betrayed by me. And mm-hmm. he said something like, he was like looking at me like, of course. And so then the conversation was a hundred percent less painful. Cause I thought he was going to be like, I don't know, take it. Like I was like conniving and planning a breakup when I wasn't, I was just trying to like confess this guilt I was feeling. Mm-hmm. I was raised half Jewish, half Catholic. So I'm pretty much always guilty about everything. Um, and then Max just kind of looked at me and was like, I'm not, um, what did you say? <laughs> I think it was like something like, uh, like I'm not gaming for forever. This yeah. is not about deciding well, forever. Or, even like I'm not grooming you for marriage. Well, can we um, can we touch on what you were saying about your was it your sister? Um, and well, it's like, not necessarily my sister. It's like, just that generation. Sometimes I like moderate fourteen year old social media world. Like I just like to dig in sometimes <laughs> and see what's going on because you like Instagram Explore page. Yeah, you yeah, can yeah. Just like see stuff you're not usually interested in, and I see these kiddos who are posting things like I. 
I'm at a point in my life where I'm not wasting time. Like, I'm looking to build. I'm looking to find a partner. And it's like all these conceptions play in. Like, they really reflect all this thing, all these things where he broke down about what romance is and how, like, 14-year-olds, 16-year-olds are embodying this and are like, I need to build. You need to be. And they are grooming people for marriage. And that is so... Um, it just reflects ownership mm-hmm. and this idea of, like, you need to own someone and you need to have someone and partner up with someone. It's just, like, these kids are getting it fast, what they're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. So I guess I guess the final question in our last few minutes here is how do we practice feminist romance? And how do we define that? And how do we, how do we practice romance that is healthy and good for us and happy? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm looking at a piece by well a chapter in a larger book called transforming feminist practice um by lila fernandez and she has a chapter really long called practice that i do not have time to completely break down but what she is looking at is how we take feminism and enact that every day and so part of it is that like not understanding feminist theory as like a tool to get your way but as a spiritual way of existing. And particularly, she lays this out with nonviolence and that oftentimes activists will be like, we're going to use nonviolence and it's going to help us get our way instead of we're going to be nonviolent. And so I think for me, that's really important for my feminist experience is that like, I don't want to like gain control and gain power. And it's like the master's tools. I think that I need to understand that I am a human. I need to understand that women are humans. I need to understand that people of color are humans. Disabled people are humans. Um, Queer people are humans. And I think that we have a lot of obvious examples of how these people are dehumanized and taught to be less than and supporting decorative um, to like the kind of people that are, who get to be complex. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that in, in our relationships where, um, or at least I can speak to my own, you know, um, obviously, you know, everything isn't, you know, perfect Mm -hmm. all the time, you know, you can't expect that, but to have two people willing to work on it, um, together to communicate and to share, a a value. And that is to be like wrong in front of each other. I think that's, I think that's a huge thing. Relationships is like willing to make huge mistakes and have another person who like is intimately aware of your mistakes. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. But like bottom line, share that value of like, you know, no one here is less than, mm-hmm. um, and try to show that in our actions. Mm-hmm. In regards to what you're both saying about like making mistakes is this is also from the same book from Bell Hooks, all about love. And she says to open our hearts more fully to love's power and grace, we must dare to acknowledge how little we know of love, both theory and practice. We yearn to end the lovelessness that is so pervasive in our society. This book turns us tells us how to return to love. So I would say um, the book is a good thing, but also Bell Hooks in general to me is one of the most critically thinking, um, optimistic feminists. When you read Bell Hooks, she is like not afraid to critique men, white people, the world, capitalism. But at the end of it, she's like, we can love each other. We have to love each other. Mm-hmm. So I think that um, we must not be complacent in our love and lazy in our love and just be like this is my person and it's fine and everything's great it's like the whole point of this podcast in general that i've been so excited to do is to say that like capitalism sexism um heteronormativity racism these things are in our bedroom in our minds and our relationships so when we love we have to dare to love in a feminist way and to me ultimately that means understanding how much we have to learn and striving to understand each other 
in our entirety, which is a lot of work to understand someone's full complexity because we can we struggle to understand even our own complexity. But I think that's the goal is to understand someone's impossible contradictions and admire them for it. Definitely. Definitely. And I think understanding your own contradictions is an important part, too, because we imbo- we take in a lot of assumptions mm-hmm. and we have to dare to challenge those, too, and yeah. to share those findings with our partner. Fantastic. All right. Well, that is time for us. Uh, If you've been listening to us here in the spring of uh, 2018, then I hope you've enjoyed the show. Uh, You can reach out to us still maybe at our collegian emails. Uh, (laughs) If not, I'm probably on Twitter still at Nesquik. Shoot me your thoughts. I don't know. I don't know where I'll be by the time you listen to this. I hope people listen to this in the future. I hope. Um, But yeah, we've had a really good time and uh, we hope that you learned something. I know I definitely did. Yeah, me too. So um, have a good night. Thank you.